I have a guest speaker to help me this morning. I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. But we are in this series right now about divisive issues in our culture and looking at them from the perspective of how are we to make an impact as God's people? What does God's Word say to us about how we're supposed to live and and bring peace, bring the Word of God, bring joy and hope and love to to a culture that's divided in the name of Christ? We are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says that our true citizenship is there. Our true king is Jesus. And I'm sure everybody here is just as excited and and proud to be an American as I am. We're grateful to live in this country, but this is not our true home. We're to represent Christ here. And so everything that we do, in everything that we say, in how we engage on these issues and in just how we live day to day, we need to show people how it's different where we're from, and it's different when Jesus is your king. And today we're talking about the issue of immigration, but we're not going to be talking about immigration policy. We're not going to be talking about border security. I think we can all agree, no matter what politics you believe in, we can all agree that we want our leaders to do a good job deciding who gets into this country and who doesn't. That's an important decision. We need to pray for their wisdom because it is important. But the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information on how to make those decisions. I want to show you what the Bible does talk about. The Bible does talk about how we should treat people who are born in other places when they're already here, how we should treat the foreign-born people among us. And we live in Texas, and so we've grown up around people who were born in other countries. We're used to that, but what does Scripture say about it? Uh, Leviticus 19.34 says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Remember, Leviticus was part of the original law of Moses. This was essentially the constitution of the nation of Israel. God was creating a new kind of country, and he said, in this country, remember, when people live among you who were born somewhere else, you were once immigrants somewhere else. Treat them as if they were born among you. Don't show any favoritism. Deuteronomy 27, 19, he gives them a warning. He says, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. So your success or failure as a nation is going to be based in part on how you treat those who are most marginalized among you. In Jeremiah 7, this is years later, centuries later, the prophet Jeremiah is writing after everything that Deuteronomy prophesied came true, and the people of Israel have lost their country. They've lost their land. And in Jeremiah 7, which isn't on the screen, he says one of the reasons you lost it was because you weren't fair to the immigrants to the widow, to the orphan. In in Ezekiel 47, God is promising they're going to get back their land. But he says, when I do, when I put you back in the country you're from, uh, make sure you make room for foreigners because I'll bring them into your midst. Make sure you treat them the same as you would someone who was born in your country. You're probably aware one of the first stories in the New Testament is of Jesus as a baby and his parents having to immigrate to Egypt, becoming refugees to Africa because of a hostile, foreign, a hostile government at home, which should sound exactly like things that are going on in the news right now. Jesus and his parents were refugees, were immigrants. Hebrews 13.2, we're all familiar with. He says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And that ought to give you chill bumps to think that some of the people you welcome or or treat with kindness, maybe angels in disguise. But Jesus goes you one better in Matthew 25, 35, when he says on on judgment day, I'm going to welcome people into heaven. And and to some of them, I'm going to say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. You let me in. So when we do kind things for people who aren't known to us, 
Jesus takes it as if we are showing love to him in person. Jesus said in Luke 13, 29 through 30, people will come, this is on judgment day, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. He was speaking to fellow Jews who thought the great feast at the end is going to be just for us Jews. And he says, no, they're going to come from all over the place. They're going to speak all kinds of languages. As Russell Moore says, there are people right now who are hotel maids and immigrant farm workers who will be kings and queens in the new earth. And my guess is right now, I I haven't said anything that anybody here disagrees with. I think all of us can agree that no matter where you're born, you're a child of God. You're made in the image of God. Jesus died for your sins. God wants you in his family. And that's why this church in in the past has has planted churches that speak the gospel in other languages. Uh, Right now, this church is sponsoring a a church in the Korean language, in the woodlands. Uh, That's why this church supports an ESL ministry that's a thriving ministry. Uh, One church has already been birthed out of that ESL ministry, but every week, Lots and lots of people from our area whose native language is something other than English come, and and they learn English on this campus, and they know that Christ loves them because we show them that. And and you may not know this, but one of my dreams for this church is that someday we will be able to afford to hire someone to start a Spanish worship service that will go on at the same time as our worship service. And that way we can reach families, and, and there's a lot of those families, and we'll be for the foreseeable future where mom and dad or or grandma and grandpa are from another country and they speak Spanish. That's their native language. That's what they prefer to worship in. But the kids, the grandkids, they grew up here. They went to school here and they prefer to worship in English. And so we'll be able to reach that entire family. That is a dream of mine that we hope we can bring about someday. And again, none of that is unusual to us. None of that strikes us as weird or, or controversial. But what does make us uncomfortable is the way we see the face of immigration changing today. Because right now, 35% of the immigration in the state of Texas is from Asia, from from the the continent of Asia, and most of that is non-Christian. Most of those people are from non-Christian faiths, uh, especially Islam. And now I've got your attention, don't I? We live on the, the northern edge of the greater Houston area. There's more Muslims in the Houston area than any other city in the South. Um, I lived in Houston for many years, and so I I lived in that environment. I saw that change over time. Um, Here in Conroe, that that growth has not yet reached us, although we're growing, and we know that some of that growth is going to be from people who aren't from this country. Some of of that growth is going to be from countries that are Muslim-dominated. There is, you probably don't know, there is a mosque in Conroe already. It's just off Fraser, about a mile and a half from here. In the last census, 2.38% of the Conroe residents named Islam as their religion of choice. And that number is going to go up. And I know this is of concern to you because I'm on the same social media you are. I watch the same television stations you do. And I I know that that you hear stories, you read stories, you're you're forwarding stories on email and and Facebook about about the changes in Europe from, from immigration there, about cities in Michigan that are... Muslim majority, and, and you worry, what, what is going to happen if that happens here? What, what should be our response as God's people? So I thought I would bring up somebody who has more expertise on this than I do. 
I mean, I can, I can tell you what the scriptures say, I already have. But I wanted to talk to someone who has lived in a Muslim-majority country, and, and that's our guest today. Daryl Ingram and his wife, Terry, and their daughter, Noel, are members of First Baptist Church. Daryl is the associate director of Tryon Evergreen Baptist Association that we're part of. But before that, he and Terry were missionaries with the International Mission Board in Central Asia for a number of years. And so he's going to talk to us about this subject today, and I want to invite him up. Would you welcome Daryl? Thanks. My pleasure. Yeah, good to see you. Good to good see, see you. you. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I asked for a taller stool, but they didn't give it to me. But anyway, glad you came. Now, Daryl, would you, would you share with us how long were you um, on the mission field and, and what did you do there? So we were, yeah, so we basically lived uh, in the country for six years. Uh, we also lived in the for three of those mm -hmm. and uh, working with Iranian and Afghan refugees that are in the area. But all told, we lived and worked pretty much throughout the Central Asia region for 15 years. Okay. Doing church planting and discipling and, and all of that. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. So what can you tell us, since you're basically a missionary here now in Montgomery County, um, what can you tell us about the changing demographics of our area? Well, I mean, I, to, honestly, I'm, I'm actually a newcomer to Montgomery County. I've only been here now for a year and a half, but uh, I've got family that live in the area and have for ages. And so uh, anytime that we would come back from overseas, we would always stay with them in the area and um, in Conroe. And so I've noticed over the, t over the years uh, kind of an uptick in ethnic restaurants, as you have as well. We now have Korean, we've got Thai, Vietnamese, Chinese, and whatnot. Still waiting for a good Mediterranean or a Me too. food restaurant. I'll be very happy when that happens. <laughs> Me too. But it's not here yet. Yeah. Uh, I think you'd have to be blind to not see the absolute explosion in the Hispanic con uh, congregation population around this area. Uh, so they, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's ballooned like crazy. Um, but as you mentioned, this mosque is just down the road. Mm -hmm. And if, you, if you've got eyes to see this, there are fewer, there are more and more Muslims that are starting to make their way up into this area. Jeff is right. Kind of the spring woodlands area has kind of been the perimeter. They've gone as far as that and pretty much no further. But now we're starting to see more and more um, of them moving in Conroe as Willis and Conroe continue to develop and there's cheaper housing in here. You're going to see more and more. Um, I was, I was, I popped into the Woodlands Mall just the other day. I was walking around. I met three Turks in one trip, just walking through the mall. Um, so, so they are coming, mm -hmm. slowly but surely, and the church needs to be ready. Okay. Well, speaking of that, so let's just, from my perspective, the house next door to mine is for sale. And let's say this next week, I notice a moving van out front, and I notice that it's a Muslim family moving in. So I, as a, as a Christian, and if I'm living next to a Muslim family, what can I expect uh, as in that relationship? Some of the best food you've ever put in your mouth. <laughs> They're amazing cooks. They really are. Um, you should be able to expect them to be a little bit more timid, a little bit more reserved. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned in one of your sermons recently about someone who was wearing UT guard mm -hmm. that went to a gathering of A&M followers and right. how awkward that was, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's just a sliver, just a little sliver of the awkwardness that they feel every single day. Um, they're very perceptive that they are deemed as the enemy by most Americans. 
Um, I'm pretty confident most of you have probably never lived in a society before where everything you say and everything that you do is scrutinized with just absolute suspicion at all times. Um, but taking from someone who has, that's not fun, okay? And so this is, this is sort of the reality they live in. Add to that fact that I've just recently read a statistic that almost 95% of all Muslim families living in the United States have never set foot in an American home. Never, because we're petrified of them. And so that perception all of a sudden becomes more reality. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as in this scenario, someone moving next door to you, you want to treat them just like you do any other new neighbor you want to meet. Ask them their name, where they're from, how many children they have, what do they do. Um, ask them what they miss most about their country. Hmm. I mean, just, just simple, basic things that anybody can do. But you want to invite them over for a meal. Write that down, okay? This is very important. These are actually very good Baptists in the fact that all friendships are really forged over meals. <laughs> Who knew, right? So yeah. Baptists and don't even know it. Is that right? No, not yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so, so everything is, is done around food. It's very important in their culture, and they're very social like that. So definitely invite them over for a meal. Um, there's an old Bengali proverb that says, you're not truly my friend until we've shared a bag of salt together. That takes a while to work your bag of salt. <laughs> and so, in this scenario, you need to be looking at this with a long view in mind, okay, as this relationship develops um, more and more. But invite them over for the meal. They're gonna be nervous, believe me. Most of them, again, have never been in an American home. And that's okay, all right? What you're waiting for is the reciprocal invite. Because I guarantee you their, their culture demands that if you do something nice for them, they're going to do, go fall over themselves to do something nice for you. You want to take advantage of this, okay? You want to go into their home and be able to, to, be able to eat um, their food. Number one, it's good. Don't worry, don't be nervous. They don't eat anything gross. They don't eat grub worms and grasshoppers and things like that. This is good food. But what you're gonna be amazed at is the overwhelming amount of hospitality that you're gonna receive. You've never in, in your life experienced anything like this before. And so it's very important for you to be there. Um, um, I think that a lot of the misconceptions that we have about Muslims in general will start to melt away as you're there mm -hmm. um, with them. So this is gonna be, be important forging opportunity for you. Right. Yeah. So our, our responsibility as Christians is not just to befriend, it's, it's to lead people to Christ. And, and so what are, what are some of the things we can do? I mean, you mentioned hospitality and forging friendship, but how do we take that beyond friendship to really helping them to know Christ as their Savior? Absolutely. Well, we are witnesses, and we are uh, Christ's ambassadors, as we was told in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Um, I've mentioned that you want to take the long view when you're dealing with Muslims and when you're dealing with people from that faith. Uh, this, you, you, you want to develop a friendship with them first. Okay, this is very important because you have to be able to establish trust. They are deemed as the enemy. Um, and so they, they really, they, the trust needs to be built in every possible way. Um, what's interesting is, is that uh, most of them, uh, most of them are very, very easy to discuss religion with. Mm -hmm. um, talking about God with them is as, easy, as normal as breathing because they, it's part of their life every day. It's not like it is here. 
Here, when we have a conversation with Americans, a lot of times you bring up God in a conversation, and Americans will sort of recoil and go, what are you talking about? What do you mean? It's not like that with them. They're very, very, very ready to talk about these things with most of us, much easier than here. It's when you start getting into the conversation about Jesus being the Son of God, that's where the fork in the road is going to happen. Okay? So I would probably, I would probably try to sort of postpone that portion of the conversation until a little bit later. Not in the beginning, but when your relationship is developed a little bit stronger, and you can have those kind of conversations um, over and over. But um, when we were overseas, there were a lot of different things that we would try to show them the love of God. Different things that we thought were gonna be really important to us. What we found was that their radar were picking up different signals in a lot of different ways. For example, I would have them over to the house and we would start talking about different things and whatnot. And I thought they would be responding to some of the things we said. Instead, what they would say to me, a lot of times, the men would come up to me and say, you know, you really love your wife, don't you? And I'd say, well, yeah. Why do you ask me that? Because like, I noticed that you sit next to her on the couch. Wow, okay. Yeah, I do. Islam, men and women have separate roles in Islam. And so they, this is a very odd thing to them. Uh, or they would notice that I was helping to clean up the house a little bit. Or maybe even helping uh, by washing some of the dishes. That kind of stuff messes with their heads. You're, you're, you're really making me look bad, okay? So because... <laughs> So I, that was not my intention. <laughs> so, so just you know that so that kind of stuff really kind of messes with their heads because they're not used to that, not used to that at all. But there's three different things that I need to, that you need to know when you're speaking to them about Jesus. The first thing, and this is really important, really important. Every every single believer that I've ever met from any country, no matter who they are, to the person, have always shared with me. It was the love that we shared with each other in the Christian community is one of the main things that helped me come to faith. Because when they see the love that we share, this is straight out of John chapter 17, exactly what Jesus prayed for us, that we would be unified so that everyone would believe that my words are true. And this is what they see. And they see this connection between the two of us and they've never experienced this before. You see the Islamic community, the fabric of the Islamic community is rooted in fear, not love. And so when they experience this with each other, they're experiencing just a little bit of God's love for us, something they've never had before, and they're drawn to this. And so it's very, very important for them to see these kind of things the way that you interact with each other. So if you've got, you know, invite, invite one of your Muslim friends to a picnic. They love to be outside. They love to do anything outside like that. And remember, nobody ever invites them to do anything. So invite them to do things. Just the other day, we had, uh, last Thursday, it was a concert in the park here in Conroe. And so we invited uh, a Muslim family that we know and another couple that we're really, uh, really good friends with. We all hung out in the park and listened to music and we had a lovely time. Hmm. Were just, it, was, it was great. But let them see the way that you interact with each other. Very, very important. Very, very important. The second thing I would say is you need to get a Bible in their hands and have them read it. There's no substitute whatsoever for getting the Bible, getting them to read the Bible for themselves. This is, a, this is the living word of God. And we've got to let God's word do God's work in the way that only God can do. And so <clears throat> getting them to read this Bible is super, super important. And he's the one that changes hearts and lives. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, that uh, if they are interested in reading, offer to read it with them. 
I'll just sit down and explain some of this because they're going to have questions. And that's what you're here for, okay? To answer some of these questions. But this is a glorious opportunity for you. Uh, as you're talking about Jesus, let them see this in the Word. The last thing I would say, the last thing I would say is that you want to make sure that you pray for them. Pray for them and pray in front of them in the name of Jesus. No matter what country I've been in, I've been on a lot. Every Muslim that I've ever spoken to, and there's not a single one that have ever said when I've said, can I pray for you? Pray for God's blessings for you in the name of Jesus. Not one has ever said no. They've all said yes. They will accept that. That does a few, I cannot tell you how powerful this is to them because a number of reasons. Number one, you are, uh, you're sort of establishing a baseline with them because they don't think that Americans pray to God. Hmm. When they think, when they hear Christianity, they think that we're born into Christianity, like they're born into Islam. And so all the worst elements of our society all of a sudden now become deemed Christian. And their, their mosques and whatnot, they, they preach this. You don't want to look like that. Miley Cyrus or, you know, pick any sort of negative influence from our culture that you want to, and that becomes Christianity in their minds. And so they go, no, I don't want to be like that. You want to be Muslim. And so they there's a lot of there's a lot of junk that they're taught that's really distortions of, of truth. And so when you pray for them, you pray in front of them. You're establishing this baseline of friendship and of trust because they see you now as God fearers, which is what they are. That changes their misperceptions of you as Americans. And you are uh, ironically able to to they, they will trust you more as a result of this. Um, kind of interesting how that works, but the fact that you pray for them is very, very powerful indeed, and it will affect them in every way. Uh, they're going to walk away from this, and they're going to be chatting about this for a long time, because I guarantee you no American has ever prayed for them. Hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. What I know that a lot of Americans, a lot of Christians, feel a lot of fear when they, when they hear about Muslim immigration, refugees, etc. What advice would you give us based on that how, how do we deal with that fear? You pray. Sounds simple, but it is. You pray. Um, you pray that God would open hearts and minds in ways that only He can. And you rely completely on His power. Because if you try to do this in your own strength, you're very quickly going to hit a brick wall. This battle is one on its knees. Mm -hmm. So you need to pray. Second thing I would say is you need to relax. <laughs> Exhale. Okay? Most of these people, contrary to what you see on the news, are nice people. Hmm. They really are nice people. Um, and, and remember that they have left their Muslim nation and they've moved here. So in, in, in essence, they've left Islamic realities, such as war, terrorism, lack of opportunities for their kids, etc., etc. All the things that Islam causes, they've left all that behind and they've moved westward. It's very important. So even though they, they would probably never tell you this, deep down they know that Islam has caused all of the things that has caused them to move into a completely different country. And so that just sort of, that, it's, that, it, it's, it's sort of a veneer. It's just below the surface. It's always, the tension is always there. They know. They just don't, they just don't verbalize that, if that makes sense. Um, but... Um, yeah, so, so they've left. I've watched the news just like you have. And so I've watched for the last several years as 
a lot of the Syrian and Afghan refugees have come and start streaming across the border into Europe um, and into the West. And we've all sat and asked ourselves, what is this going to mean for us? Okay, this is making us a little nervous. And I want you to know that I get it. I do get it. Um, but can I offer an alternative perspective this morning on that situation? Anytime that you see a mass movement of God throughout history, migration of a lot of people, Almighty God is usually behind that. And there's usually a purpose behind that as well. So think about this. These, these, people, these Syrians and these Afghans, they lived in villages before that were completely off limits to the gospel. There is no possible way that a missionary could get into any of these areas and share the gospel with any of them. So instead of looking at this as a tragedy for Europe, I look at this as an opportunity because out of God's mercy, he didn't leave them in, in sort of their fate in these villages to live and die without ever hearing the gospel. He's uprooted them, yes, through horrific situations such as war, but he's moved them into an area where they're, they're, our brothers and sisters, the remnant in Europe that live there, are actively sharing the gospel with them every single day, over and over. And you need to know, they're responding in droves. They're responding in droves. You're not going to hear that on the news, but it's happening, guys. There's a lot of believers now that have come out of Afghanistan and Syria as a result of them being in these areas. And so, again, God did not leave them where they were. And so I see this more as an act of mercy in what's happening um, overall. But it's interesting because when you read Acts 17, uh, this is the story of Paul at the Areopagus. And he, he's speaking to the Greek philosophers and they're talking about this, this statue that's been erected to an unknown God. We're familiar with the story. As he's going through and he's describing the things about God, there's one verse in there that's very easy to sort of skim over. And, and, and we kind of miss it sometimes in the greater picture and the greater story of what's happening. It's verse 26, which says this. It says, He has determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of our dwelling places. What does that mean? That means that we very strategically live when we live and where we live. That all of these things have been determined by God. Why weren't you born in the Congo 150 years ago? Because God ordained that you would be alive living in the Congo area in 2018, strategically, as part of his plan. Um, I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. You know, Your lives intersect with the lives of those whom God is already working with, even if you can't see it yet. Be it in your neighborhoods, at your work, in your schools, whatever. God has ordained for you to live in 2018 at this time. He knew refugees, Hispanics, Asians of all kinds were going to be moving into this area. This is part of his plan. It's also part of his plan that you're here. And so we have to be faithful during this time. We have to recover this strategic kind of mindset and more of an eternal perspective in how we live. You know, I mentioned 2 Corinthians 5.20 about us being Christ's ambassadors. This is true. This is what Paul has stated that we are. Except, like normal ambassadors, we don't even have to go to some of these far-flung areas because God has actually brought a lot of these people right to our doorstep. In Jeff's example, right next door. What a gift. What an absolute gift. And so we need to be able to, we need to, be able to take advantage of this. 
Um, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, we don't have to go into, into a lot of their countries. Did you know that, that in the last 15 years, there are more Muslims that have come to faith in Christ than in the last 1,400 combined? Were you aware of that? That's happening right now. It's a phenomenal time to be alive. God's opening hearts and minds to the truth in ways that he's never done in history. And we play a pivotal role in this right now. This is happening. This is happening right now. You know, there was um, a number of years ago, I was able to be part of a, um, of a training team in Kazakhstan. And so we were, we were training these Kazakh believers to sort of bunch up and go out and be sent out in different areas to share the gospel. And so they would get together in groups of four or five, and they would sort of fan out across areas of Central Asia for a number of weeks. And they would go into areas that were very difficult. The governments wouldn't let us get into. They could get into because they were locals, but we couldn't. And so they would go out and they would stay and they would share the gospel over and over. And they would come back with these amazing stories. And I'll never forget this one lady. She, she, she comes back and, and, and she shares a story. She said, you know, me and my crew had basically crossed the border into a neighboring country. And so we were walking around through this village. And as we are walking through this village, we had this overwhelming compulsion to talk, start, stop and talk to this lady who's standing in the doorway. We all felt it at the same time. And so we walked over to this lady and start chit-chatting with her. And we start sharing the gospel with her, and she becomes a believer right now. Now let me pause for a minute and give you a little context from my part of the world. That never happens. <laughs> let me explain why. At their core, their, their worldview, people in Central Asia are really animists. They're animists. Yes, they're Muslim, but Islam did not originate in Central Asia. All of these people were conquered peoples. And that gives you a very different mindset than in the Arab countries. And so they were all conquered by Islam. So they're animists with about 1,200 years of Islam on top of that. And for Kazakhstan and those, those Stan countries, they then have another 75 years of atheistic communism on top of that. So when we share the gospel for the first time, it's got to penetrate through all those different layers to get to the heart. We know this is the Holy Spirit's job, and this is what he does. But it usually doesn't happen the first time. When they hear the gospel for the first time, they have no categories at all to put this into. And so they just don't normally respond like this. But this woman was different. She becomes a believer right then. And then she starts weeping. And people come around her and say, well, you know, are you okay? Did we say something to upset you? And she just smiled at him and said, no, you don't understand. She said, last night an angel appeared in my room and said, I'm sending someone to your doorway tomorrow to share ultimate truth with you. She looked at him and said, I've been waiting for you all day long. This is our God. Mm -hmm. Do we believe in the power of the gospel to change hearts and lives like we read in scripture that it's still happening today? I hope that answer is yes. Because this is happening. And... I have hundreds of stories I could share with you. I just simply don't have time today. But I want to be a resource for you. If you ever have questions about this particular group especially, I want to be able to help in any way I can. But I want to encourage you this morning, don't be nervous, okay? Don't be nervous. If it helps, read the end of the book. <laughs> we win. Okay? You're, on, you're on the winning team, okay? Have confidence in that. Have confidence in that. There's a reason that Revelation was written as, as the glorious hope that we have. And so 
This should, this should embolden us in every way. But the Holy Spirit is moving around this world in ways that you simply cannot fathom. Again, as we're ambassadors to these people, be they Hispanics, Asians, refugees, whomever, we never know who we're entertaining. You mentioned the verse about angels. Mm-hmm. This has happened to me before. And that's a completely different story that I can't share this morning. But this has happened to me before. Um, there's also, you know, if you think about it, in closing, I would say that um, this Muslim family, this is your example, that moves next door. Let's say that you're with them for a while and they move away. They move away someday. Or you move away. And that relationship or that, that time with them has been cut. I want to encourage you, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Leave the results to God. Okay? And envision a chain, if you will. So, you share the gospel with this family for the first time. You're the first link in the chain. Very first link. They've never heard it before. It's a very, very important link in this chain. But you move away, and so that, that relationship and that time with them is finished. Trust that God, in their journey, has the next link in the chain prepared. Because somebody's going to come behind you, and they're going to reinforce everything, all the seeds that you planted with them, the faithfulness that you were with them, second link will be established, and on and on and on until that person comes to faith. So my question to you is, which of those links is the most important? Would it be the first? Would it be the fourth? Would it be the 17th? The answer is every one of them are absolutely pivotal and critical to that person coming to faith. So you play your role in that link, in that, in that, in that, as that link in the chain. Don't worry about the results. But it's the same thing we see in Scripture. Paul plants... Apollos waters, and God gets the glory. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. So don't worry about the link. God will provide the next one. And trust him that he's going to have that work out for you. Well, Daryl, I'm glad glad you're here today. I'm glad God brought you and Terry and Noel to our church. You've been a great encouragement to me. I appreciate you. And it's good to have him in our area. So uh, keep him in mind, keep him in prayer. And I just want to close with this. Um, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, that's us, called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that's the Jews. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ, through, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is Paul, a Jew, saying, you Gentiles are immigrants into the kingdom of God. And the person I used to be would have said, get out. But the person I am in Christ now says, welcome home. We're immigrants to the kingdom of God, and God in His grace has room for all. So be in prayer for the things that we've talked about today. Be in prayer for your neighbors who are moving in, your neighbors who are already here, and be in prayer for our church as we reach people in His name.